All right, everyone. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. Uh, it's what's today? I don't know. Thursday, <laughs> November twenty first. Usually, carries someone who doesn't know the date. Um, I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hello. Hi, Carter. Uh, I thought I was hearing some feedback, but I don't think so. We're good. Okay, well, let me know. We can adjust levels if we need to. Um, today, uh, Carrie and I are really excited to talk to Jamie Kilstein. Uh, Jamie's a writer, stand-up comic, and host of the Jamie Kilstein podcast. He has appeared on Joe Rogan, Conan O'Brien, CNN, Showtime, MSNBC, BBC America, and elsewhere. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Kilstein, and also to learn about his upcoming appearances and his podcast, um, please visit jamiekilsteinpodcast.com. And we've got the link below in the uh, in the show notes, so you can just go click on that. So, Jamie, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Oh no, uh, you're muted. I'll unmute him. I forgot to unmute you. That was my fault, Jamie. <laughs> Fucking being silenced again. Uh, yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. Uh, super awkward. My nickname is also the Bad Mama Jamma. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I'll let you and Carrie fight it out. Cool. 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 I I I I should not fight women. Uh, I, 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 I probably not good for your reputation at this point. I guess. really worked very hard to climb back. Uh, that would be a bad way. <laughs> We have a rule on this podcast, Jamie, where I, because I'm a woman, I get to speak 20% more of the time than you. Oh, good. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, but Jamie, that all you have to do is identify as a woman and you can you can get to speak 20% as well. So you just I, I'm so confused about what the rules are now. Uh, everything's <laughs> changing, you guys. It, it, well, I, I am personally, first of all, thank you so much for doing this podcast with us. Sure. And I'm really excited because... I sort of knew you tangentially, not knew you, knew you, but I, you were in some of the same circles I was in back when I worked in comedy. Yeah. Okay. So I'm super curious about this. So what circles, or is this like a boring conversation we should have? Uh, on, no, no, because I think it's interesting and a good way to get into it because I was a committed SJW back then. So I ran my own management company. I managed W. Kamal Bell, uh, Janine Brito. Whoa, hold on. Uh, were you uh, uh, with Dave Zirin too? No, no, they were, that was three arts. I ran my own small boutique company. Um, what was it called? Whitesmith. Somebody so, pitched, so, someone pitched me to you guys and you guys fucking said no. <laughs> so I don't well, know if I, I don't know if I was, if I wasn't SJW enough, that was before I got canceled. And I literally remember thinking like, motherfucker, I got this little boutique lefty place said no to me. I was like, I'm, done and then like i went to like caa or some garbage like that wait okay so did we have a i can't remember if we, i have a bad memory ever and i can't remember if we met i met with a lot of people then in new york we, no no okay. no no we, we, okay. were, we were supposed to have like a phone meeting or something and i feel like it was the year i had some hype um and yeah okay like, can i tell you a confession yes okay so and some of my clients were on your very popular citizen radio podcast which i would say is a lefty comedy sjw in my words i'm not putting oh my- no 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 it a hundred percent was it was the destruction of my life <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah those are my words that i would use and then did we ever have you do warm-up on totally biased did you ever do no so oh, okay. i actually did um i had a clip 
that went super viral and I got taken down when the show got shut down. FX just took all these clips down, which was right. pretty dumb. Um, but I had this, I mean, this is going to give your listeners and I'm sure you already know insight into the comedy world. I'm so fascinated. I cannot fucking believe this is you. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so this, um, so I go on Kamau Bell show and we were joking before uh, we went on air about, you know, douchebag atheists. I was like kind of in that category. And I never even I never even really considered myself a hard atheist. I was always sort of, you know. Oh, did you do the atheist episode? We had you on the show. Yes. Yes. And, OK. OK. And yes. but so here's what happened. And so I was in this kind of, you know, my religious beliefs are like every 19 year old college girl where I'm like, I'm spiritual, but I don't know, like that, 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 that's sort of where I lie. And, but I ended up just somehow in this like hardcore atheist camp. I spoke at that reason rally. I fucking me and Reggie Watts performed with Christopher Hitchens at the Sydney opera house. Like, um, and so I saw a lot of good in that world and I saw a lot of negative in that world, but I was considered this atheist guy. So at the time when Kamal show was on FX, it was very in vogue to do the atheist versus Christian debates. Mm -hmm. And so you guys had me as an atheist and then you had John Fugel saying the very yes. lefty comedian, uh, son of a preacher or whatever the fuck his story is. Um, and he was the Christian. So a producer comes backstage and starts going to me like, hey, John's a. Uh, He's saying a lot of really shitty things about you. Just like, you know, feel free to say whatever you want. And I'm like, John's not saying anything about me because he's a Twitter liberal. And uh, that probably means he doesn't have courage to say anything to anyone's face. I was like, he's a, he's been very nice to me. I don't think he's I don't think he's saying anything bad. Was so, this an older guy with gray hair, salt and pepper yes. hair? Oh, I yes. know exactly who this was. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so then uh, I see John before we go on air. And I go, hey, man, uh, was some producer like saying that I was like talking shit? And he goes, yep. And uh, and then I go, you know, I wasn't right. And he goes, all right. And I go, uh, you know, they said the same thing about you. They said you were talking shit to me. And I go, what if we just go out there and don't fight? Um, which ironically is like kind of what my podcast is. I think it's probably what you guys are doing. And he goes, all right. And because we didn't fight. I mean, it ended up getting like two million views where I said the problems I had with the atheist community and made some jokes. He said the problems he had with Christianity, um, made some jokes. We both like kind of ribbed each other, but it wasn't in this like what you see nowadays is like gross, partisan, tribalized way. And even back then, there was a hunger for that. Now, did that get me and John like our own shows? Like, no, because partisanship sells. But it sure as fuck did better uh, numbers wise. I mean, it'll still well, come up on my so, Facebook every once in a while. So even like I look back on that show as being I built my whole career around pushing my ideology. So I worked with comics who were pushing the same. But for the most part, there were some who didn't. But for the most part, who were who were pushing the same belief system I was. And that show was like the pinnacle. I felt it's like, we finally got a show where we're going to change the world. It's all. And that, in retrospect, yes. it was a very SJW show. However, you were helping me look back on it with, in a new light because there were some very positive things about it. There were some like that was great that you guys both were very balanced and respectful of each other's beliefs. Yeah. Well, you guys had the, yeah. you guys had the Lindy West, Jim Norton rape we joke did. debate. That was a big one. 
And yeah. that that like again, I feel like nowadays would have, you know, would you guys have been considered alt right? Were you know what I mean? Like nowadays, if you have conversations with people who disagree with you, you're automatically in that camp, you're automatically labeled. And I think me and John's segment, even though maybe it wasn't supposed to be that way. Um, and you know, I mean, the Lindy and Norton segment I thought was very interesting. They both got points across. Um, it was sort of those two were kind of ahead of its time. But then other than that, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, that's what I was doing is I was pushing an ideology. And I think in principle, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to have something you're passionate about and have something you believe in where it gets bad and toxic is when either one, you're refusing to hear other people's ideas and you shut them out before they even speak or two, um, if they're coming from a subconsciously disingenuous place. So what I mean by that is if you're just canceling people because you know that's popular and that'll get you Twitter likes, not because it's a cause you truly are passionate about. Okay, so this is very, so uh, this program, Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space is one that Carter and I started doing specifically to try and help pull apart my old ideology and understand it for what it says it is versus what it is. And obviously we can do this show forever because there's a lot of confusing stuff about it. And, sure. and so this is one of the things we talk about is how my perception of it looking back is there were two, roughly two types of SJWs. There are the people who are very sincere and well-intentioned. And then there are people who uh, know what it is and are bad intentioned and are using it, using it in a way, disingenuous way for likes or popularity or because sure. it's in vogue and it's the thing to push. And so I see a great distinction between those two people, but I am very, I try to, it's hard for me, but I try to stay empathetic towards the people who are sincere. Like I was, because I know, like what I hear you saying is um, it sells itself as something good. And yeah. so can you talk a little bit about one of the things I'm curious about when I talk to people about my old belief system is I view it like um, the beginning of a zombie movie, which I love the beginning of zombie movies when the virus starts to spread and you don't know what's happening yet. Yeah. The yeah. beginning part. So what were the first, like, when did you start to get pulled into this belief system? And yeah. what were, what were, how did you get into this cult of belief is what I call it, but it, you may not call it that. So I'm, yeah, I'm still probably more uh, left than you. Um, and I think I fell maybe even still fall. Um, I think I fell somewhere in the middle of, I, I think there's a third option. And that third option is I think people who are genuine and think they're doing the right thing and they just get so caught up in it. They don't realize that they're doing it for validation or for likes or for anything. I, I think that I can think of a couple famous people who sit on Twitter all day trying to ruin people and they've gotten wildly millions of followers, stuff like that. Um, but even with them, I think, you know, for me, look, I wish I had the political savvy to sell out. Um, I don't. My my career has always been I've always been on the wrong side of business. So I when I first became popular, it was under George Bush and it was because no one was criticizing Bush after 9-11. And that's when I started making a living. Um overseas, um, you know, in Edinburgh and Australia, London. Uh, then I started getting uh, compared to, you know, Bill Hicks and Carlin. And I leaned into that because I was an idiot 20 
five-year-old and like those guys were my heroes. So I started just being like going harder and harder. Um, then under Obama, when it, uh, I criticized Obama, uh, I got banned from Conan because uh, I ranted about drones and Obama. Um, so I could have been popular, you know, lefty, like celebrate Obama. And now under Trump, when now everyone's making money for doing this shit we used to struggle doing, um, I'm like, let's talk about nuance and have conversation with Republicans. Like it's uh, I've always chosen incorrectly. So. I wish that I had the foresight to be like, I'm going to pretend to be a fucking feminist to make money. Like I wasn't having like vegan dollars rained upon me. Um, it was truly how I felt um, like a lot of men on that side. Part of it was because like I was in a relationship with that kind of person. Um, but at its core, of course I want to defend people who are being oppressed, as I'm sure you guys do. Um, of course, systematic oppression is bad. Bigotry is bad. Unnecessary wars are bad. Um, you want to see a, a homeless person or someone without health care and approach them with empathy instead of like, yeah, you should have pulled yourself up by your bootstraps when like your team stole the boots, right? Like these were these are these are talking points I had back then. And these are still things I believe now where I've changed my views I still believe those things but I'm also seeing that conservatives a lot of conservatives also believe those things um, they just have different solutions some of which I I understand now and some of which um, I still disagree with but I'm open to have those conversations um, where I, read a, I read a recent um, I think it was recent medium piece you wrote about visiting your girlfriend's parents in Texas who are Trump voters and yep. how the old you would have made immediate, had immediate judgments about them. Oh, I would have like thrown red paint on the meat they were cooking. I would have like started just tossing condoms at the neighbors being like Planned Parenthood. <laughs> fuck you. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. And what's ironic is we did end up talking about politics. It's not that I silenced myself to show respect for the mighty conservatives. It was that if you approach these conversations with compassion and you approach being like, these are also good people, um, then you end up fine. I mean, dude, we talked about abortion and gay rights, you know, uh, Emma's brother is gay. And like, that was like a, a really big thing for them. We talked about uh, gun control, their gun owners. I used to be like ban all guns. Um, so we talked about the controversial shit, but we did it from the place of, I think you're good people. They think I'm good people. I would rather instead of tell someone why they're evil for owning guns, I would actually rather learn from an educated gun owner what he thinks uh, we should do about like mass shootings than speak out as an uneducated uh, liberal who has never shot a gun. So like, again, I still have a lot of the same points of view. Um, I just have radically different uh, approaches and I'm much more excited to learn from conservatives and I I'm excited to change my my view on a lot of things as well. I mean, that is the scientific approach. People call it, they say you're a grifter now if you talk to right wing people. But I mean, to me, it's just educating myself. And also to me, that's uh, just another way to keep you from is another way to keep you isolated. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So to, to answer your original question, I'm sure we'll circle back to all that. But to answer your original question, 
the the grifting I was doing on the SJW side, it really was it was that I was sad and I was getting validation. And, you know, look, I dropped out of high school to um, to do stand up at 17. And even though I've done cool stuff and been on the news and, and, and shit like that, I still uh, one of my one of my things I'm working on is I'll still kind of consider myself stupid or call myself dumb. So to have all these very prominent um, lefty journalists uh, really liking me, even though I was kind of just the guy who was around for the dick jokes um, and getting validation and getting these likes and getting these retweets. I mean, it just made me feel cool. I was in a failing relationship. I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, jujitsu was kind of the only place I had real friends. Um, I was hanging out with those lefties who would only call you if they wanted you to get them on MSNBC. And the second you're in trouble, they would disappear. Um, so I didn't have a lot, but I had Twitter and the times that I would be, you know, refreshing for likes. I wasn't like, haha, this is going to make me so much money. It was literally just a dopamine addiction where I was getting validation. And because I believed that the stuff I was doing was righteous, I was like, how can I be selling out trying to get people more rights or trying to, you know, I did feel very like righteous. Yeah. A hundred percent. So uh, Carter, I'm sorry. I'm dominating. I just have one more. No, I just, I just think you guys should get into a little bit about, um, the backstory of what has happened. Cause I don't know that everyone knows the history. Okay. Well, well, so here's how I would describe you, Jamie, and you tell me where I'm wrong. When I, <laughs> when I was in that world, I viewed you as, cause I worked with, I was a hardcore. I was very, I was in my own echo chamber of SJW beliefs. And, and, you know, you cultivate that online, you weed people out. It was very, everyone agreed. Everyone um, uh, kind of had, you had the same opinions of your tribe. And I would say you were kind of, from what I've, I viewed you as being in that same part of the left and not just the left, but also the comedy left. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so a lot of my clients like you, um, we were, I worked with a ton of these SJW journalists, people in the media who would promote my clients they got to feel special because they were hanging out with comedians. They were right. Pieces like in Jezebel, stuff like that. And then um, uh, I saw you as being in that same world. And then what happened to you in my, this, this is, I know you've talked about this and if people want to go watch it, your, your interview on the Joe Rogan podcast is really great. And I love the way you were kind of, um, you were very honest and vulnerable in that. Oh, interview. thanks. Um, but uh, you got me too before me too was a thing. Kind of the kind of the cool hipster of uh, not to brag, you guys, but uh, I did it before Louie did it. But what's funny about this and very interesting about it to me is that you used to lead. You were an SJW and you were part of some of these Twitter mobs where you would call other men out. Oh, yeah. Who maybe you didn't know much about, but the tribe is doing it. And so you're yeah. like, you're a sexist or you're a misogynist. Or you're this. Yeah. Whoops. It happened to you. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. I mean, I joked on Rogan. I, I, it's not like this is like a bit of mine, but there's really no accurate, uh, no better way to put it. So I will repeat it where I said, I'm Rogan. You spend your whole career being like, hashtag believe all women, hashtag believe all women. And then it happens to you. And you're like, not that woman, like hashtag don't believe that <laughs> very specific woman saying that untrue thing. And, and then, and then to take it a step further, 
anytime guys would defend themselves and be like, uh, you know, but she was crazy or she was jealous. I'm like, you're sexist. You're just calling women crazy. You're like, you know, whatever. And then people were like, why did this girl do it to you? I'm like, oh, she was crazy and she was jealous. I'm like, you know, and, and I, I almost want one of the reasons I disappeared I mean, two reasons I disappeared. Um, I, one, I was like suicidal, uh, which I talked about on Joe's. But also, I think you'll find this more interesting than my sad sack story is uh, there was still part of me that was like, if I defended myself, I'm going to hurt women. Oh, and gosh. That I know. I know uh, where I'm like, my defenses literally make me sound like a fucking. And by the way. I still here are the two things I will say, and I always say this. Um, I have had the very woman hating side of the Internet try to kind of like reel me in. And again, business wise would have been great when I still have people call me a grifter because I talk to right wing people. I'm like, motherfucker, I wish I sold out. Um, I would have had a lot more money um, every once in a while. You know, the people who have been the most supportive, supportive of what happened to me are, are women. Um, women who have actually been in abusive relationships or been assaulted or been, you know, preyed upon or whatever. Um, but every once in a while, you do have that guy who's like, yo, bro, heard you on Rogan. You're like, oh, thanks. And he's like, we got to fucking shut these whores up. And I'm like, nope, I'm not on your team. Like that's <laughs> I haven't gone to that side yet. Um, so there are like there are still more women who don't get justice for their sexual assaults than there are men who are falsely accused. However, um, when you falsely accuse, when you conflate Harvey Weinstein with uh, Al Franken or sexual assault with dating, which is what happened with me, you're making it worse for men and women. So from a feminist point of view and from like a, a men point of view, uh, both are both are bad. And the reason that I still haven't meticulously gone down every piece of that article and being like, here's what's not true. Here's where this is because, you know, it's not because I'm like defending women. It's because if I spent those years being bitter and miserable and just stewing and who I thought wronged me, um, I would have fucking killed myself. It, what I decided to do was, you know, look, are those things true about me? No. Um, was I selfish? Was I depressed? Was I too much of a pussy to get out of a dying relationship uh, that, you know, 100 um, percent? There were still things that I could change about me. And that's the route I've gone. Does it suck that every time I go on a left wing show like yesterday, someone in the comment section is like, how can you have on a sexual predator? And I don't have a piece that I wrote right away, pulling apart every little piece of that or just saying, read the article. I mean, if you read the article, even if everything in the article is true, it's still not sexual yeah, anything. It's dating. You don't even really need to do a response to it, in my opinion, because if people take the time to read it, however, one thing you mentioned on Rogan, which I know you know this, but uh, they don't take the time to read it. They look at the headlines. And so um, I got canceled two weeks ago, just but just to make this topical, by the way, and like give you some new knowledge, all this bullshit on Twitter now and these articles being written that saying cancel culture isn't real. I got canceled for an opening slot in Las Vegas who makes their money off of prostitution and gambling. Uh <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel's comedy club canceled me the day of I had like a hotel booked for the drive um, because, again, the headline 
says sexual misconduct. I wouldn't fucking hire someone that said sexual misconduct in the, the headline or predatory or abuse. I mean, that makes it sound like abuse, um, not consensual one night stands, not shit like that. Um, right. So it's still happening. And the consensual one night stands like, happened six years ago and the cancellation happened three years ago. Um, and so one, it, it it's very real. One of the things for people who haven't read the article with all the accusations about how he was a sexual predator. One of the things that made me laugh the most was that you were flirting with a girl on Twitter who was a fan of the show and contacted you. And, and then they included the tweet or they included the direct message where she said, you know, I had to mention that I have a boyfriend. And then he said, well, if it doesn't work out or if he ever treats you poorly, you've got your rebound lined up, smiley face. It's like, oh, <laughs> like, what I know. You I know. Someone, oh. I know. No, number one, that's a hilarious line. I, I, I haven't read the article in so long because it gets PTSD, but I was like, good on you, Jamie. That's pretty funny. But also I'm like, that is, it is infantilizing to women. I mean, again, I hate getting into it. I usually don't get into it, but like I, after that, like apologized, I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't know you had a boyfriend. Um, and then she kept writing me afterwards to be like, are you okay? Did I, you know, do anything? And I just started ignoring her because I'm like, that's not good. Um, I would never pressure someone. Trust me, the second I get rejected, I sulk away in shame. I've never sent a fucking dick. Like, look, if I'm sending that girl like dick pics, if I'm saying sexual things, cool. Like, that's creepy. That's not okay. Um, unless she's doing it or whatever. Right. But even it's, we don't, you don't even need to explain it. I think that the tweet itself, the direct message itself is enough. It's like, this is your evidence of a sexual predator is someone who is flirting. I know. And, 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 and at the time, I mean, the article also made it sound like all of these were like affairs, but at the time I was in a public open relationship. I mean, the craziest thing about the article, this is the one thing about the article I will say, cause it's not, necessarily attacking the women it's attacking jezebel um where it, it the the last one was something and feel free to correct me since you read it recently um also do me a solid anyone who reads this click on some other decent links about me so that'll go to the second page uh can someone like click on my actual website um so the uh it it, it said this girl one, it made it sound like I was cheating. I wasn't. Two, it made it sound like we slept together. We didn't. Um, but the girl was like, we hooked up. And the girl was like, something like it was the safest I felt or it was the first time I trusted a man. Some line implying that when we were together, I was nice and gentlemanly and did what yeah, we were supposed to Yeah, she said it was like a really special night and yeah. she felt really safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Which, good. Yes, correct. But then it said, uh, but weeks later, he called me a road fuck on his podcast. And then in parentheses, Jezebel said Jezebel could not find the quote. It's like, one, then don't fucking print it. Um, but two, I'm probably not talking about slaying road pussy on my feminist podcast that I hosted with my wife at the time. That is insane. Um, but if I did say it, that's not abuse. That's me being a comic or an asshole. Um, but to, to, to put an article about that, like that is emotional abuse. I mean, fuck, dude, emotional abuse is when you like hold a partner like hostage, um, you know, saying if you leave, I'm going to do this or or whatever. Emotional abuse is not treating someone who you met that night very nicely and then uh supposedly call her a road fuck that's like being a dick yeah and well, i didn't so say it pointed out but you said this on rogan uh, you admitted that when you were part of the 
SJW mobs that would pounce on people online. A lot of times you didn't even read the articles. Yes. Um, we're just seeing yeah. headlines and like, yeah, yeah, this looks looks like that's a bad guy. I'm supposed to call him yeah, out. Done. Because you're because you're on the clock, right? You have these trending topics on Twitter. And the trending topics are geared toward whoever your tribe is. And you look at it and you go, ah, we're all mad at David Brooks. And then you're like, fucking, I don't understand his writing. So I'll just look at the tweets and like figure out why everyone's mad. And it's like, all right, they said something. He said something about education. So then you write, well, why don't you send your kids to a whatever you try to like put the words together and just come up with a funnier hot take. Uh, so you can start getting the likes and retweets. Um, no one reads articles looking to be convinced that they're wrong, you know, like now I do. And it's fucking really fun and fascinating. And yes. best case scenario, I learned something and I figure out I was wrong. Worst case scenario, I go, OK, that's where that guy's coming from. Here's how I dismantle that, because I still feel the way I feel. Um, but I can come at it. Uh, from an educated point of view, not just from uh, everyone on Twitter told me I'm mad at you and I have to disagree with this article. I mean, there was so much shit back in the day that I that that I agreed with kind of a more conservative take or a less PC take. And I straight up just couldn't say it on my show. So I have a question about the you. You're a big advocate for Believe All Women. And it's something that um, I'm, I haven't been on the right or the left for a long time. So I, I kind of feel like I, I have problems with both sides often. I can yeah. tell by your fancy bookshelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You look very educated. You look very educated and scholarly. Well, it's, it's all an act. Um, it's just like a cardboard, uh, like prop bookshelf. Yeah, they're all fake books. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like I something that that fascinates me is that when people say things like "believe all women," if you just step back for a second, on the surface, it's patently ridiculous. Like everyone is a liar. Everyone can be a liar. Like picking one particular gender and saying like, they are always telling the truth, always believe them. Seems really ridiculous, but so many people get caught up in that. Can you just describe like, what's the motive to like, yeah, that? I mean, I have so many thoughts on this one. I remember I was with Rogan one day backstage at the comedy store and he's like, you still have PTSD from all this shit. And I was like, what? Like I'll find myself like doing these, progressive preemptive apologies before I say something. And like, even you just now saying, believe all women and kind of going after it. I kind of got like a, like you a, have a, an a internal oh. SJW in your head. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's totally what it is. It's just like, uh, there's like a devil on this side and then like an angry feminist lady with a clipboard on this side. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So, so a couple thoughts. Um, yeah. Like, off the record and talking to people like even liberals, people would always be like, you know, yeah, believe all women. But then like at a party, be like, yo, my crazy bitch ex said some like fuck bad shit stuff about me. You know, uh, of course, that's not true. We've all had insane girlfriends make shit up about us. Uh, we've all uh, uh, met women who have lied, just like we've all met scumbag guys or uh, uh, guys who lied or whatever. Um, again, I, like you said, like it, it, it's patronizing to just assume one gender or one sexuality or one race is sort of holier than thou and above criticism. I think 
So going to your two categories of social justice warriors, I think that the good side was like, weren't actually like, no woman can tell a lie. I think that they were like, look, women haven't been believed for so long. Now they're, you know, uh, uh, people are starting to listen hashtag hyperbolic uh statement right um and that was sort of like the best case scenario and then the worst case scenario was some fucking women who were like great i can say whatever i want about that guy who was a dick to me or about that guy who ghosted me i remember once before my shit even happened oh my god i totally forgot about this i was um i was like on tinder shamefully and uh trying to navigate this dumb open relationship I was in. And I was talking to this girl and I never really gave my last name because I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want people to know I was a comic or whatever. And again, this is before any controversy. And uh, there was this girl and I just started getting like weird vibes from her. We didn't even hang out, um, let alone hook up or have sex. And we were going to hang out that night. And last minute I was like, Uh, I don't like this. But again, because I used to be like a chicken shit, like this is something I've changed. Instead of being like, I don't want to go out on a date with you. I like made up some like crazy excuse. I was like, I have to go to Jersey because my mom's sick or like something fucking dumb. Right. So anyway, so in between that, she like figured out who I was and like, I guess Googled me and saw like I was like a male feminist or whatever. And, uh, the next day she writes me and she goes, how's your mom? And right away I was like, oh, she knows I'm lying or whatever. And I guess Tinder had like a GPS back in the day. I don't know if they still do where it showed that I was still in Brooklyn. So I was like, even though I know I should be the one who shamed because I lied, I'm more like you made the right call, Jamie. If she's like checking out your GPS already and we haven't even hung out. And she writes to me and she goes, Maybe I should post about this. How would the what would the world think if I said uh, uh, a feminist feminist Jamie Kilstein ghosts girl on Tinder? And it's like, number one, feminism doesn't say that I have to fuck you. Uh, and then oh, it does now. I don't know if you've heard. Right. And then, yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, can, am I in trouble for trying to fuck you? And I'm in trouble for not fucking you, uh, depending on your mood. And then. Also, that's not even what ghosting is. Ghosting is if you like have sex with someone and then you ignore them, uh, which is like a dick move. But like not going out on a date with you isn't violating some sacred feminist uh, creed. I don't remember why I brought up that story, you guys, or what the question. Oh, the believe all women can also lie. So women can be fucking nuts. Like that wasn't even a lie, but that was just like a crazy thing. Like you're literally going to threaten me because I didn't want to go out on a date with you. And like, did I handle it the best way? Like, no, because I was an idiot. Um, but like, Jesus, like, and again. I have a, well, I have a quick observation about that. Yeah. You, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. Wait, I feel like it, you probably, a lie came easily to you because you're living in untruth already. Like if your entire belief system, for me anyway, when I look back on it, my entire belief system and what it took the place of God for me and religion for me. This is my sense of making sense of the world. And it was, it gave me um, a list of rules, even though they contradicted each other and they changed, but these rules for morality and for being a good person. And 
Um, but it was all built on it, a lot of it was built on untruth. Can I ask you a really personal question that you can tell me to fuck off? Sure. <laughs> um, what if I was just like, will you manage me now? Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, I, if you want to get back in the biz, um, I still got a solid agent. Definitely don't have a manager. Um, okay. The, do you ever worry that I've had phases where I've stayed up to like 3am watching Jordan Peterson videos, for example. And there was a phase when I was sort of at my lowest, I was like living on a friend's couch with like my cat and uh no money and like look i'm still struggling right now but like the podcast is taking off i have a great girlfriend I actually have my own apartment and the same cat um but there were times where i was really desperate where that instinct to be tribalism kicked in for like the other side right and i had to stop myself from being a centrist version of who i was on the left or a center right version of whoever because the only people that were talking to me were like quillette or um uh you know like glenn beck like right-wing people would have me on their show and it wasn't that i started agreeing with them politically it was just that they were being really nice to me i mean even doing this show like yesterday i did a left-wing show i did a really big left-wing show recently and uh it's the first time in years that my past has come up in a negative way where people in the comment section without impunity could just say, uh, he's a fucking creep. He's a sexual predator, like just factually untrue things. And there's nothing I could do about it. Whereas when I do shows like this, or if I go on some show on the blaze, I have women being like, Hey dude, I'm fucking sorry that happened to you. And I had guys being like, that's insane. And it wasn't even that I'm like, yeah, that is insane. I guess I'm a free market capitalist now. It was that I felt like I had friends and compassion and people who understood me talking to you. I feel like I have someone who understands me. So there was a temptation to be like, well, if I fucking switch all my beliefs, I bet I could write a lot more for them. Or I bet I could have a show on the blaze. Like Ruben has a show on the blaze, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I spend a night watching Ben Shapiro on YouTube and I go, no, I'm still pretty liberal. That's faulty uh, thinking. Well, yeah. Well, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? The answer is like, look, we are people and we have our beliefs and we don't have to go to a tribe. I'm just like wondering, have you ever been like, fuck, am I going over to this other side? Because um, because I have to fight that a lot. Like there are some points of views that I've changed, but there have also been some days where I'm like, man, my life would be a lot easier if I didn't still want liberals to like me. Cause I still politically align with them more. And I only did shows like this. Does that make sense? Like this, uh, this isn't a critical thing at no, all. No, I, I have thoughts on it. Well, so we, we've talked about this on this show before, so I apologize for anyone who's heard this, but um, one of the first quotes that kind of woke me up. So I view, I'm, I was very interested in talking to you because um, I view it as you got kicked out of the cult. I walked yes. away from the cult and I was an apostate and I suddenly things started changing for me the way I saw things. And it's, it was a long process, but people were like, what's happening to her. And, um, and I didn't want to just walk over to another tribe and right. because I started to see how close-minded and intolerant uh, the tribe I had been in was. And so one of the first quotes that kind of woke me up was um, that Nietzsche quote about be careful fighting monsters lest you become the monsters you fight. And classic so, white guy. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> if you can ignore everything he ever said, Carrie, yeah. unless it's convenient for you to use. Oh, I, oh, I see. He's a white guy. So yeah. don't pay attention. Okay. I, I'm actually, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and just cancel Nietzsche right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that quote was very helpful for me in seeing that my side, yes, could indeed become monstrous. And also it helped me understand that with empathy because a lot of them thought they're fighting monsters, but they become monstrous, right? And so if I keep that quote at the forefront of my mind or in the back of my mind, rather, uh, then it helps me from just becoming a monster for some other tribe or ideology. And so that, that quote, I think if for anyone who's struggling with like, where am I going? And I don't want to fall back into the same behavior just on this other side that keep, that's something that helps me. And that's awesome. I saw um, that. Sorry. I just want to interject there because something else that you and I have talked about, um, and I'll just say it, it helps me because I haven't been on either side for quite some time. Carter's uh, a nomad. (laughs) <laughs> no, well, but it's a it's a transition between being married to conclusions and being married to the process. So I I am married to the process of using reason and evidence, and sometimes that makes me change my mind because someone prevents, presents arguments and evidence that I didn't know. And right. So I change my mind, but it doesn't negate my sense of self identity because I wasn't married to the conclusion. I was married to being the guy that's mar- like the idea of my identity is like implementing the process, being rational and and following me, following the evidence where it goes and following arguments where they go. Um, so I don't have to give up a piece of myself when I lose an argument. I just have to change my mind and be like, oh, now I'm now I'm stronger. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. I like both of those. Well, the and the other thing is that I saw examples and blueprints for going over to the other side, like um, Chadwick Moore. Uh, his story really resonated with me. He was the gay out magazine writer who did a profile on Milo Yiannopoulos and then he was oh. uh, chastised and sort of criti- criticized by his own tribe, by the SJW tribe for even talking to Milo. And that kind of woke him up. And then he did a piece eventually that said, you know, I'm coming out as conservative. And so Whoa. he really went from left to right. And um, I, a lot of his story resonated with me, but like just flipping over and saying, well, now I'm, a, now I'm part of the Republican party didn't, wasn't something I wanted to do. And I, yeah. and by the way, at, at one point you said you might be further left than me. I don't exactly know. I still consider myself liberal, Oh um, word. but, but personally I'm conservative on a lot of things, like in terms of how I, I think it's best for me to behave in the world. Oh, um, that's a great way to put it. Cause that's how I feel too. Like, I think that I've been trying to write this piece. I'm going to write, I literally was thinking about this today about writing Claire from Colette, where I wanted to write a piece for so long about, this is kind of changing gears so you can get me back on track after, but um, about the problem, the left's problem with masculinity. And, you know, I tried to write it before, but again, the inner SJW, like you called it, I had so many prefaces because I was like, this is going to get me in trouble. (laughs) But what, what, but so I'm going to rewrite it today, but the, what you just said that 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 hit me really hard was I started leading my life. I start I became a better man when I started listening to conservatives. My policies haven't really changed. Like I didn't listen to Jocko and was like, let's fucking bomb Iran. I listened to Jocko and was like, oh, it's okay to want to be tough. And I should work out more and I should push myself more. Or I listened to Jordan Peterson and I, you know, I didn't start railing about pronouns. I was just like a 36 year old. who was like, yeah, I guess I should make my fucking bed. And I think that liberals need to pay attention to this because all these young men are going to drift to the right. I don't care what Jordan Peterson says about uh, trans people. I will say that a lot of his clinical psychology helped me um, just as a human. Um, and so if 
we're calling Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan alt right, and we're saying they can't be part of the conversation and you can't listen to them. Then when these young men go to listen to the show, because it's someone talking about health and masculinity and not calling them the problem uh, with all of society's ills, then they're going to go, all right, I guess I'm alt right. And then YouTube's going to, you know, be like, next, check out Ben Shapiro, you know, screams at a trans person in a wheelchair. And they're like, fucking all right. And then they're just going to start going more to the right. And then for conservatives, it's also just made me more compassionate for conservatives where it's like, wow, I was really demonizing a lot of people who put like family and God and, you know, whenever I heard family, God and country, I was like, yuck. But then I think about it. It's like, no, those are really good things like family and where you live and where you raise your family. That's not a bad thing. A lot of people can't separate their like personal values from what they think should be forced upon everyone else. Um, Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, there's lots of things. I don't want to shoot heroin into my arms every day, but like I'm against the drug war and I think it should be legal. (laughs) Right. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, uh, the, like another thing with uh, living like a conservative is victim mentality. Like whenever I heard the words victim mentality, it was usually a very rich politician telling that to like a very poor black family. Right. And so you see that and you go, fuck that guy. But we and especially on the left will use victim mentality every day. I'm a, you know, a straight privileged white guy, but I would still go on to Twitter and be like, I'm depressed because I knew everyone would be like, take a self-care day, just watch Netflix, blah, blah, blah. And like, look, I still try to be very vulnerable and in touch with my, you know, emotions. And like, I don't want to be one of those people who holds it in because I'm a man. But also there are days where like, when I got canceled from Vegas, I was like, do I tweet about it? And then me and my girlfriend were like, I had an offer to do a show that day in Phoenix. I was going to drive to Phoenix, do the show, get a hotel, drive to Vegas. And I was like, I don't want to do the show. And me and my girlfriend were like, no, fuck that. Be tough. Get big. Throw it in these people's faces. So I went yes. to do a show that should have been nothing. It should have been 20 people on a Wednesday night for fucking 50 bucks. And I went and did it and the owner happened to be there and the owner was a female and the owner was like, I've heard you've treated everyone in my staff, like on my staff. Uh, Great. I want to watch your set. She watched my set. And then she booked me for 28 headline shows uh, for next year. And that was because I was fucking tough and because I fucking believed in myself and I was strong and I went and I did the challenging hard thing. And unfortunately, that's kind of more of a conservative attitude. And a lot of times liberals would just be like, I'm sad and going to complain about it. You know, this is, this falls in with, um, you may not have heard about this, but we, we just did a couple different episodes on the SJW um, wars that have been happening on Instagram in the knitting community with knitters. And that sounds like a sketch, a comedy (laughs) sketch that someone would write about the left, about (laughs) knitters. Uh, I would pitch that if I was like a writer on SNL. I'm like, what if like a bunch of knitters were fighting on Instagram and there could be different factions of knitters like and it would fucking kill. Jesus. (laughs) I've got to send you these episodes because I think there's some of the best at at explaining how this can happen in any close community, whether it's the comedy world whether it's a company, whether it's a church or, or a knitting community online. Um, but so we have a lot of new followers now who, who are knitters. And um, one of them yesterday was talking to me about 
she's a public speaker. She, and she was saying, look at this conversation. It's so weird. It's, it's what you're talking about. It's the victim mentality versus pragmatic solutions for bettering yourself or bettering your situation. So it yeah, was a yeah, thread yeah. where people were complaining about how like, um, you know, and members of marginalized groups, because everything is about what group you're in, in this world, members yeah. of marginalized groups don't get paid as much for speaking gigs as people who um, are not in these marginalized groups. And she was giving her own experience and saying, don't go into the room pitching yourself with that in your head, because you're not going to pitch yourself what you're not going to ask for the right amount of money, because you're going in already deciding that you can read minds, and that they're not going to value you as worth more. And so like, she's like, just get rid of that and go in and ask for more than what you think you're worth. And what she got back instead of Oh, thanks for the great advice. You've obviously used this in your career and you, you make a lot of money. And it's empowering. It's an empowering, it's empowering advice. All they wanted to do was to dismiss her and to continue to wallow in victimhood. <laughs> that is insane. And like, look, I, I, I didn't learn this stuff from, uh, you know, if I just listened to like kind of more conservative people, I don't know if I would have learned it, but I learned it from throwing my life into MMA and jujitsu. And then when I started and that I think opened my mind because I used those skills in real life and I finally had male role models. And then, so when I heard someone like Jocko or Jordan Peterson, I was more open-minded to it, but yeah, that's the exact same advice. When I coach that I tell people, I go, if you shoot in to take that guy down and you think you're going to get caught in a choke or you think he's going to knee you in the face, you're going to shoot a little more hesitantly that hesitant, shot when you go in is going to get you choked is going to get you need then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where you go see i shouldn't have done it and so then as opposed to if you're like i'm gonna take this i'm gonna take him down um and yeah it's the exact same thing like when did empowerment become problematic um that's such a sad commentary and it's such a sad statement and it's why so many people on the left don't believe in ourselves. and then when you don't believe in yourself what do you do you go online and you start projecting it outward and you find people who are worse and then you call them out for being worse because you don't have to examine your own flaws because you have a bunch of people who are either going to agree with you or tell you like it's okay sweetie like you're going to be fine don't bother trying um and that's such garbage yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, I view a lot of the ideologue, well, ideologues generally are taking the easy path out, right? It's like, we give you just an easy answer that explains your circumstance, but doesn't require anything of you. Right. right. Um, here you go. The answer to this yell about it, but you know, you don't have to change anything. It's not very introspective of a, of an ideology. There's, there's nothing about, um, what did you do to get yourself in this situation? Yes, there may be externalities that are out of your control that make your life more difficult than other people's and all that stuff. But right. um, there's nothing empowering. There's no introspection. There's no, how can I overcome these or, or do anything better? It's just, you know, can I have a checklist of excuses that I can check off so that I can feel good about the fact that I'm not successful or don't have what I want or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Well, just so much of it is ingenuine. Like when you brought up the knitters, I thought back to... Uh, when I was like 22, I was like starting to get some notoriety in comedy, but not enough. So I was like, I got to get stage time. And it was when that show Deaf Poetry Jam was on HBO. And I was like, I already talk fast. I'm just going to start showing up at these like slam poetry clubs. And because I felt ostracized, I was too political for comedy. So I start doing 
this like slam poetry, which is the most, that's more embarrassing than the Jezebel article. And, uh, and I start doing it and I start winning everything, all these huge New York things I'm winning because no one was funny. Um, so just the fact that I was political and funny, I'm like automatically like everyone I saw on deaf poetry jam, I've become friends with, I'm like, Oh, this is my first battle with tribalism. I like found this tribe. And there is this uh, this woman, this academic who looks exactly how you think she looks. Um, and she was on deaf poetry a bunch. She had more power than me in the community. And I had this dumb joke in this pro gay rights speech that she found pro or uh, poem <laughs> that she found problematic. And she didn't tell me. And I'm at the Bowery Poetry Club one day. And this is this famous woman who I looked up to, you know, one of the biggest poets in the world. And she wrote a piece that uh, was like to the comedian, because that was the insult instead of calling me a poet who thinks that like gay domestic violence is funny or something like that. And she wrote this whole response poem attacking me. Um, and I remember being in the back of the room crying because I finally thought I had a tribe. And I was just like, if slam poets like slam poet, like that's lower than mine. I'm like, if I can't even be accepted, <laughs> in the slam poetry community. And I feel the same way with knitters where at some point someone in that conversation should have been like, Hey, we're all fucking knitters. Shouldn't we be banding together <laughs> because we're all we have instead of arguing. And that's how I felt with the slam poetry. And by the way, Jamie, they are going to save Western civilization. These knitters. I am. So, I'm literally going to go back and listen to the shows. I'm so excited. They are pushing back in a way. I have never seen people push back against the outrage mob. You, you know, they pointed out that, yeah. Knitters were somehow involved in the French Revolution also. <laughs> um, it, well, I also feel like knitting, and I don't know a lot about knitting, but I feel like knitting, much like jujitsu, much like meditation, is also like this very like solitary, I'm secure with myself. I'm like finding like inner peace through this like activity. I don't know. I'm very excited to listen to it. But what I was going to say, and this ties in, there was this uh, this tweet the other day, you guys probably saw it, with that that woman who was like, the one who was like, I, I shut down my own comedy show when I heard sexist jokes and I've never felt more alive. And it okay, went. Yes. Yes. It went viral. And I'm sure I would get a lot more of your fans if I like trashed her right now, which I did uh, on the podcast. But I was much more focused on instead of trashing this woman, because it's like if you're a performer and the most time you felt alive was shutting down other artists, it's like, yeah, uh, but what concerned me most about this, and this is similar to what happened to me with the slam poetry thing. If instead, if she sees some sexist comedians and she runs this show, if instead of just shutting them down and trying to go viral and saying that was the most you felt alive was censoring comedians who, by the way, we're probably bad. We've all seen bad new comedians try to be funny. Yes. Um, and it's not like smart jokes about gender. It's usually just hacky tropes that make an audience groan because comedians would rather a groan than silence. Um, but if she took that opportunity to do one of two things, one, what if she went up there and fucking slaughtered? If instead of turning the show down or shutting the show down, she went up there and she was just better. She was just funnier. Maybe she even like went after them in like a funny way um, or just did a really solid set um, as a woman who brought the house down. And then those open micers are going to be like, well, she did better than me. Like maybe there's something to it. Plan yes. B, you actually were offended. They did say something hateful. 
instead of shutting down the show, just like this, this girl, she didn't tell me, she didn't come up to me and was like, Hey, this joke's problematic. I don't know if you know this, but in the gay community, blah, 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 blah. She just went and tried to make a name off me um, because you're pissed off. So that's not going to accomplish anything. That's either going to drive me away from the conversation or it's going to make me double down. Those comedians are probably going to double down because now they were censored. And just like me, when people called me Bill Hicks, I was like, all right, I'm going to go harder and harder and harder. Or when people tried to silence me and said, you're too political, I'm going to go harder and harder and harder. Um, what if she was like, hey, guys, uh, you don't have to do anything. You're comics, you're artists. But like that joke's kind of hacky. Right. Like you can be better than that. Or like, what if you found a personal way to explore that concept or like whatever? Uh, and maybe that'd be like, fuck you. And maybe that is still pretentious, but it's certainly better. And it's certainly going to has the chance to accomplish more than just shutting the show down, turning the lights off and making these guys be like, all right, well, fuck you. Yeah. Well, the difference is that what she did is virtue signaling, not actually trying to make change in the world. Right. For yes, both. Exactly. Exactly. I did this. Here's my kudos. And yeah. Um, hey, I want to ask you, this is the, I, know, I don't know how much time you have and I want to make sure I get this question in. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a very personal question? Yeah. So um, do you think that if you hadn't, if, if you hadn't been thrown out of the cult that you would still be in it? That's such a good, God, how has no one asked me that question before? That's a great question. Um. All right. I was going to, I mean, I'll, I know you can't know that, but what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's we'll, 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 we'll talk it out. Um, I just disappeared behind my fake bookshelf. Uh, okay. Let me, <laughs> the, so yeah, I mean, it's funny because uh, of, uh, when you, when I asked you your personal question, it's like, of course, that's why you hadn't debated going to that side because you walked away. Whereas I was kind of kicked out. Like I've had people be like, it was really brave of you to walk away from that tribe. And I'm like, oh, you mean uh, get forcibly removed and have my life ruined. And even if I wanted to be part of it, I'd never be able to again. Uh, there was nothing brave about that. Well, but, and my follow up question is, was it one of the best things that's ever happened to you? But the, <laughs> OK, yeah, yeah. So I kind of have an answer to that, too. Um, I think that behind closed doors. And I'm including some of the people who posted about me, people I was close to. They would still say racist shit or try to make the offensive joke using the word we're not allowed to use. Wow. Um, when I would talk to and, and that's people, again, in my direct community. Um, they almost got off on it because it was so forbidden, right? Like, can I use the F word in a joke, right? Like, but again, not, while calling people out on Twitter for doing the same thing. Um, when I would talk to people like my brothers who are very liberal, but like not in the Twitter world, we would make these, you know, we would always be making each other laugh with offensive jokes and stuff like that. What I talked about on Rogan that was starting to push me away um, was, and I've told this story before, but, uh, this person wrote into my old podcast and was like, uh, Hey, I just got back from the doctors. He says, I'm going to die if I don't lose weight. Uh, I have three kids. I can't stop eating. I've written about hilariously enough for Jezebel, uh, having like an eating disorder and how guys don't talk about that a lot. Um, and he was like, if there's anything you can do to help, uh, please. 
So I write them on my personal email. I send him a bunch of recipes. I find him a jujitsu gym. I think he lives in Baltimore. Um, and I'm like, all right, I tried. So he writes me back however long later, six months, a year. I don't know. But he writes this email and was like, hey, uh, just so you know, I don't know if you remember I'm this guy. I lost all this weight. My doctor said he's never seen such a quick turnaround. My kids are proud of me. And I'm entering my first white belt jujitsu tournament. Right. So I'm like brought to tears because even during this show, the show had already started to turn where we're only covering the sort of SJW stories. So I, it already wasn't fun. But every once in a while, I would get to talk about suicide or Robin Williams was one of my best friends. And so I talked about mental health a lot. Um, and I talked about this eating stuff. So I don't think about it. And I read his email on the show and I'm almost in tears because I'm doing this show. I don't like I'm in this failing fucking marriage, um, but I'm like, I'm still helping. I'm depressed, but I'm like, I'm still helping people like I'm still actually making a difference. And the next day we get like 10 emails that were like, by reading his email, you were fat shaming us which yes. I didn't even know that was a thing. Not, we weren't like, hey, fatties, go do jujitsu or else you're going to like, I don't want to look at gross people when I walk down the street. Like, of course not. We saved a person's life who was like, I want to lose weight, not because of societal norms. I want to lose weight so I don't fucking die and orphan my kids. And I don't remember, I don't think I apologized, but I wanted to go off on the show. Uh, and be like, this is the problem with the left. This is, and I did, I didn't cause I would have gotten it. Yeah. And I did that a lot. So the part of me that would freak out about stuff like that, when cancel culture, was it nearly as bad as it was today? I think would have started to rebel, um, against it. And, you know, not a lot of people know this either. Um, there's 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 part of me that hopes you guys have uh, a really big audience so that I'm saying these things I shouldn't say and get new people to my podcast. But there's also part of me that hopes you guys have a very small audience. So no one hears this stuff I shouldn't talk about um, the. I didn't I, I wasn't ousted from my show. I wasn't fired from my show. My show was literally just me and my ex. What happened was we both had knowledge of these insane emails that we were starting to get. Uh and even though she knew and I knew it was, hey, I'm in L.A. now anyway. We're doing the show over Skype. We were separated. Uh, I want to be in L.A. doing stand up and writing. I'm not having fun doing this podcast anymore because of, you know, where it was headed. Why don't I just stay behind the scenes and produce the show um, and you can pay a new co-host out of my cut? And that was the agreement. And then uh I give a sad goodbye. Um, the girls who were writing the article literally were like, uh, if he leaves the show, we'll like, let this go, you know? And then I leave the show and I'm crying saying, you know, I really hope I helped people. Um, I don't say anything about sexual misconduct cause that wasn't true. But I'm like, if I was ever an asshole, I apologize. There's stuff I have to work on. Um, and then I left. And then the next day, the girl got mad and just doubled down even harder. And then someone pressured my ex and suddenly I was at the gym. And even though we were talking, she wrote something on her verified Facebook that kind of gave the story legs and then it blew up. Um, 
So I wasn't fired um, or ousted. People knew on my side and thought it was fucking ridiculous. And then when publicly they needed to not say it was ridiculous, uh, did so. And so there's part of me that was like kind of I was heading that's, in that direction anyway. That's a cult dynamic, by the way. We, we've talked about this in relation to what happening, happened in the knitting community. And it's a part of, we just did for book club. We do a book club every month. We just oh, read cool. uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. And he talks about, um, Jonathan Haidt talks about the, the different characteristics of a witch hunt. And one of those, number four, is that uh, people are afraid to associate with or to publicly defend the accused. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I don't, I don't remember anyone defending you. No one did. No one did. And, you know, look, part of it was my fault in the sense that I pissed off both sides. I put all of my chips on, uh, you know, my politically progressive side. So comics kind of already hated me. So the people who would have defended me didn't. Um, and that I kind of understand. And no no one on the left, by the way. And again, not for me to be like, wham, wham, victim. But no one called to be like. Hey, friend of mine who got me a ton of things and has publicly talked about suicidal and has now disappeared off the Internet. I, I don't agree with what you did, but are you dead? Like no one wrote to make sure I was OK. And I've had women recently, public figures on the left be like, I'm so sorry I didn't have your back back then. It was just fucking nuts. Um, but I still haven't been invited. I went on Rising with Crystal Ball, and that's really the only, you know, she co-hosts with this great Republican guy. But that's the only close to left show I've been on. Uh, I still haven't been on any like liberal anything. I, you know, I barely have big liberals do my show. Really, it's been more kind of moderates or uh, conservatives. Um, but it's still uh, there's still a lot of most people don't publicly associate with me, which, again, is why when I go to a Quillette or go to that, like you're going to get a very sappy DM for me afterwards. I was like, can we be real friends? Um, <laughs> and then and then my patented sexual harassment <laughs> smiley face, um, <laughs> the patented Jamie smiley face um, that a I send a predatory smiley face, a predatory well, smiley face. Jezebel phone number on speed dial. So you're, you're <laughs> great. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and so. So that's the part of me that was starting to distance myself. I think if I got back into comedy, I wouldn't be where I am now politically, but I would have been more like I identify as a comic, which means I'm still probably I'm still pretty liberal, but I'm going to say whatever I want is kind of what I. But then there's another part of me that's like, I don't know, there's so much pressure in L.A. to not be that and to be very liberal. And I know how to write those applause break. Fuck Trump lines. I mean, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I still would be because my first show in L.A. and this happened the week before I got canceled. I got on Judd Apatow's ACLU benefit show and I did it with Moby, who's also been canceled. R.I.P. Um, and me and him performed together and he played guitar and I did rant stuff. And yeah, it was like it was Judd Apatow hosted it. Um, so if I had the chance to do those shows. Yeah. I mean, I guess I probably would have. I'd probably be somewhere in the middle, I think, is probably the, the most honest answer I can give. But it sounds like your psychology would have driven you to uh undermine your success in some way like you would have gotten ostracized for something because you're starting to feel uncomfortable about stuff that was happening so you probably yeah, that's, done something that, subconsciously to get yourself in trouble anyway that's true i mean even going back on rogan and you know stanhope show when i after disappearing and then they had my backs very hard um uh even going back on there probably would have started to get me shit for the left. So I probably would have had to make that choice again. You know, I mean, when I doubled down and went full SJW, it wasn't because um, 
of anything political. It was Rogan and I got into that surprise fight about feminism. And I was like, oh, I guess comedians hate me now. And for the first time in my life, I'm making money on this podcast and they don't hate me now. And so that was the chose I, the side I chose, you know. Um, and so something probably similar would have happened in L.A. If I went on Rogan again, they probably would have been like, you know, you're all right. And I would have had to choose again. And maybe I would have chose the other side. Um, but I think the big difference is now it's like I don't need to choose sides. I will talk to whoever I want to talk to. I will say the things that I want to say. And it's fucking empowering. It's scary. Um, but my day to day life, even though I'm not rich anymore and I'm not as successful, quote unquote, um, I am so much happier as like a human being. Yes. But it's tough. I had a friend ask me, we probably have a lot of mutual friends. You may know this person asked me um, to rate my happiness level. Uh, based on, she was like at the height of the TV show, for example, when the, anyone looking from the outside in would have said, you're at your, your executive producing the show with Chris Rock, you have these other comedians, whatever, the height of your success. Yeah. Rate your happiness then to now. And it's like not even comparable. It's like, I mean, maybe at the highest, a six back then. It's pretty same. Same. Nine now. And, and it's just, you learn about what things are more, I don't know, like more important. And like you said, so for me, when I left the cult, it I, I realized I had locked my brain away for decades. Um, I didn't read. Like I used to, I was a voracious reader when I was younger. Same, I didn't either. Yeah, you quit reading because they're telling you what you need to believe. The headlines are telling you, you don't have to read and do the research yourself. They're telling you what to think. And so um, I had quit reading. I, quit, I wasn't really curious about things. And, and then to leave that, to open like the own, you're, the prison that you've constructed around your brain to open that up and then to be able to talk to people and try and figure out, like you said, what do I actually think about these things? And, uh, and, and, and to talk to people who disagree with you, the freedom to do that is so yeah. talk about empowering or liberating Dude, the, the reading thing you said, I'm like, I, I probably read, I mean, I read a lot. I read every day and yeah, I stopped reading every once in a while. I'd be like, I'm going to read. And then I just wouldn't. And, and I completely stopped. And it's like, yeah, that's literally what cults do is they take away books. They take away outside influences, right? Like mm -hmm. if I would tweet someone who wasn't super liberal, I would get a bunch of tweets saying why that person is problematic. I mean, shit, I got in trouble for going on Conan because they were owned by like a corporation. And it's like, I went on and talked about drones. Um, it's, so wild and like so i mean to officially answer the second part of your question i remember when i did burt kreischer's podcast he goes um you know i'm really jealous of where you are right now this rebirth he's like you only get a couple chances of that in life he's like for me it was when i had kids it was when i started comedy and there's part of me that i want to go uh don't be jealous of that um and that <laughs> part is like there's still shame i still find myself apart when the word sexual anything is associated with you i mean when I was dating, I didn't want to give my last name. When uh, my girlfriend's parents Googled me, I was like, I guess the relationship's over. Um, I got into relationship. I stayed. I mean, here's another thing I've never said. Um, the, the, the girl who I was with when all this stuff went down, um, I described her to my brother. Uh, he called me uh after our first date and he was like what does she look like man and i was like oh she's beautiful she's tall blonde hair blue eyes covered in red flags like such a such a mess such a mess and uh was like physically abusive she would get uh uh 
jealous over nothing. Like, dude, after everything that happened to me, I didn't look at another girl when I was with her. And but she told me on our first date, she was like, she's had this jealous thing for, you know, she was like, I'm jealous. Sometimes I get uh, abusive. Sometimes it's jealous over nothing. And I was like, I'm in. And we like moved in together right away. So because I'm a mess. Um, so. So we're together while all this happens and she's, you know, she supports it. Um, but when she started getting physically abusive, I was like, I should leave my brothers. And everyone were like, you have to leave. And I was like, but this is the only girl that will date me. Like, I don't want to go out there again, you know? And again, uh, I guess I can say this now that Moby has been canceled. Um, Moby said to me one day uh, in conversation, he goes, if only people knew that while you were being accused of being emotionally abusive, you were actually in a physically abusive relationship. And like, it's so fucked up. So I still, I mean, this is what, I don't know when that article was written, but I feel like it was like five years ago. And like, I still feel shame. I go into a new jujitsu gym um, and I go, are they going to think I'm like, I'm starting a jujitsu podcast. And I'm like, is someone going to uh, uh, think that I'm like a rapist? I call girls buddy a lot. So they don't think I'm flirting. I've had several girls be like, can you not call me dude? And I'm like, sorry. Like I, like I'm, I get nervous to hug people. Um, and again, this isn't like I'm the victim. This is like, here's some fucked up shit that goes along with it. Um, so that I wish I got canceled for a bad joke, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. With that said, yeah, this is the the first time in my life that I'm healthy, that I'm uh, nice to people. I mean, I was never mean. I was never like pretentious, but I would definitely be looking at my phone instead of like talking to the guy at Whole Foods. Um, I would, you know, I made this joke on Bird Show where like there were times where you know, I, I wasn't talking to my mom and my girlfriend would be like, Jamie, your mom's on the phone. And I'd be like, tell her I can't talk. I'm tweeting about feminism. You know, I was ignoring, <laughs> I was ignoring people in the real world uh, because I had this like image to uphold or whatever. And now I'm like, dude, I'm in touch with like nature for the first time. I feel like I'm getting like spiritual. I'm like reading books about how to better myself instead of like why I'm the problem. Um and then I'm having conversations like this. Like I would have never talked to you a hundred percent because oh, back then we would have talked to each other because we were on the same page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, let me point out, you rejected me. I did not reject you. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I can't stress this enough. This was after uh, I quit. I was, cause I was with Robin Williams manager. Cause he got me as manager and agent. And then I left them because, you know, it was the classic manager thing where, they appease their famous client. And then they were like, we're not going to do anything with him. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave Larry Bresner to go to this little tiny boutique liberal uh, establishment. And then when you guys said no, I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm trying and to I, do we were the SJW management company. I mean, pretty much. I, I know. Not, not exclusively. You know what it was? Here was my guilty confession that I didn't make at the beginning of the podcast. And oh, good. I hope you don't take this the wrong way. No. Um, even though we shared the same politics, I don't remember finding you very funny at the time. Ha, that's hilarious. Because, and I'm not because, and I think this is because of the inauthenticity thing I was mentioning earlier. Um, it felt to me like you were saying the right things, which is like trying to say the correct things in your comedy, like doing comedy about feminism or doing, you know, and even, and then as a, I mean, I was an SJW too, but I think there was a part of me that felt like it was pandering towards the belief system. And yeah, so you know what? I, anyway, I'm being totally honest with you. I am excited to see your comedy now because I want to, I, I think 
whenever people are being authentic, it comes, it can come through and, and, and if you're more yourself, whoever you are, it's the, it's the first time I've talked about dating on stage, like basic things that every comic talks about it. And it's by far the best. I mean, I'm getting more dates now than I did back then, even with my history, at least for next year, just because it's just funny. I'm just trying to be funny. And I had moments I mean, the reason I won't take any offense to that is I had moments when it when it first started, when I first started to get popular, it wasn't like cancel culture feminism stuff I was talking about. It was Hicks and Carlin. It was going after organized religion, going after the powerful war. I I would use very offensive language while talking about liberal ideas. The majority of the podcast was that kind of audience. Um, And that's how I started. But then as the show got more woke, sort of that was the only audience I had left. So I remember a day. So I used to have these rants. I don't do them anymore, but there'd be these like three minute chunks. And so there was one called like, fuck the NRA. And it was a rant all about the gun control thing. And, uh, and I remember looking at my set list and just being like, what political issue do I not have left? And being like, I guess I got to write a rant about like abortion. Cause I don't have that. And so it was the same thing. Like my set list just looked like an agenda meeting of a liberal uh, uh, whatever. And like, again, that's not bad if politics is your thing, but it's bad when you're writing just to check off boxes. Yes. It's like, I know how to write jokes. I know how to get an applause break, but like, you probably saw it in my fucking eyes. Like, you know, there's a thing with, for comedy nerds out there, they'll know this where you'll have a joke that's killing and killing and killing. And you could say it the same way one night, but if you're just not into it, or if you're on autopilot, it'll bomb conversely there are times where you improvise something on stage and it murders screaming applause breaks and you're like oh my god this is going to be my new big joke and you write it down or you listen to the tape and you try it the next day and it's crickets and it's because the audience could sense in that moment we are all part of this very exciting thing that is building and heightening in front of us that's one of the beautiful things about comedy if you're just writing it very uh robotically and just putting the pieces together you know uh, then I mean, when That's I started very insightful, yes. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's comedy. I mean, dude, I mean, I ended two rants. I remember I ended with just saying, fuck you. And I was like, that's not a joke. Fuck you. Isn't a joke. And that's when I realized that I stopped writing jokes. I was just writing these like angry, uh, screeds, which by the way, again, just like what I'm trying to do with the podcast, if I care about my liberal ideas, that's also not going to change anyone's mind. I mean, for liberals who listen to your show, the reason this is so important, I'll get shit for going on right wing shows, but it's like, I'm not going on right wing shows being like, build a wall, like in trans people, have them build the wall. Like I'm not doing that. I'm going on shows still being liberal. And so if you actually care about the ideas, shouldn't you be excited? Shouldn't you be, instead of giving me, here's what happened yesterday. On the show I went on, this guy goes, how could you have Jamie Kilstein on? He's a sexual predator. And the guy goes, do you have any evidence? And he goes, he he wrote for Quillette. It's like, <laughs> those are very those are very different. Uh, that's an insane thing. So like, but wouldn't you rather a liberal write for Quillette? So now a bunch of conservatives listen to my show. So when conservatives listen to my show, instead of calling them a Nazi, I can talk about like, maybe we shouldn't have kids in cages, right? Maybe we should make sure that uh, uh, we're treating gay people equally. So that's a good thing. 
I think you don't actually want to change conservative minds because you don't give a shit about gay people or kids in cages. You just give a shit about your brand and your brand uh, is the lefty who calls out other lefties, which was my brand. Um, yes. And it's disingenuous and it's not going to you're not going to accomplish anything because if kids are out of cages, you don't get to tweet about it anymore. And isn't that really the heartbreak? You know, if you don't get to tweet about the bad things. Yeah. It's like when well, they find out. Uh, oh, go ahead, Carter. No, no, I, I was going to change the subject, so keep going. Well, I was going to say it, it's like when uh, people in in the part of the left that I was in, when they would all get excited to tweet about the latest hate crime, and then when it was revealed that that was a hate crime hoax, they would never share the articles that were like, "Hey, thank God that thing didn't happen." Um, yeah, yeah, you and- don't have to be like fuck Smollett, but you can tweet like, "Huh." Oh. Good. Jesus. What a, what a worse world that would be in if like, or we would be in if that happened or like, yeah, I fucked up. And by the way, that's going to make just like the me too stuff. That's going to make people take actual hate crimes less seriously. So we have to make sure that we're being responsible and do diligent with evidence um, and stories and not just ruining people's lives with a tweet because it's going to hurt feminism and it's going to make people take, yeah, hate crimes less seriously. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, I should say all these lefties I hung out with who were like, we need more representation. Not at your Friday night drinking get together in Park Slope. It was like the whitest group of fucking people I ever hung out. with. I didn't hang out with actual minorities until I started doing jujitsu. Like and I was like, oh, this is where the people of color are. They're not fucking at the well, nation staff meeting. There was a great New York Post uh, piece recently, which I thought described it well, because it's a luxury belief system. Most of the people who push it, it, you know, I was indoctrinated in college 20 years ago. So at, at Duke University, which is an elite school, and yeah. it's, um, you know, it, it's a it's a belief that when you see videos of like the kids at Yale screaming at that professor, uh, Nicholas Christakis, about the Halloween costumes, it's like about their oppression stuff. I'm like, you are at Yale. You are yeah. not. I mean, big- that's. You That's the thing. Top 1% of the 1%. Yeah. And I never learned that until I started reading outside my comfort zone where like I, uh, I will still fucking defend like poor black communities if they're being terrorized or, you know, whoever. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like in an Andrew Sullivan piece who I would not have been allowed to read, um, where, uh, he was like the majority of like the woke Twitter left are college educated white people. And I was like, Oh my God, it's us who was talking about privilege who are the privileged ones. Um, and, and, and again, not compared to like, like there are still poor communities of color, blah, 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 progressive apology, progressive apology. But that was just like the wildest thing that like, it never even fucking occurred to me when I was in it. Yeah. Well, you're told you're supposed to use so so they they have the the ideology is essentially the best way to look at the world is as a power struggle between different uh, identity groups, and and they divide everyone into these groups. You're either the oppressor and the privileged, or the marginalized and the oppressed. And so you're in one of these two, and then the, they have these. That's why when you said earlier you got victim points for talking about your depression because that's one of the binaries. You may check off the oppressor boxes for male and white, but you can right. check off the oppressed box if you have mental health issues. Uh, so interesting. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's one way that you get to be marginalized. And, and so people are encouraged to they're encouraged to uh, identify with any mental health problems they have rather than trying to 
get healthier. Yeah, which um, is the opposite of one, how you get better. But it's like it's literally the opposite of like any sports psychology, any, you know, uh, like the reason that I'm a happier person is because I'm I, I'm grateful about things. I uh, I try to make myself better. If I fuck up, uh, I try to fix it. Um, the fact that not only do we live in a world where we're not trying to better ourselves, we're instead basking in the attention we get um, for playing the victim, but also that we spend our days. Uh, this is like the opposite of Tony Robbins positive thinking, right? We spend our days online looking for negative shit, which means that that's what our brain does on a day-to-day -day basis. When we're in the store, when we're driving in traffic, we are training ourselves to look for negativity, to look to be mad. Um, when I now have trained myself to like look for the positive or figure out how we're going to fix things, not be naive, not be like everything's great all the time. Like you don't want to be that, but to be like, hey, this really hard thing happened. Um, how am I going to find something positive? How am I going to learn from it? How am I going to let this get better um we're training ourselves as a society to do the exact opposite that doesn't mean ignore oppression ignore bad things that means see it but also be like we're gonna fucking be okay and we're gonna double down and we're gonna work harder and we're gonna become better because of it not i'm just gonna bask in attention and have people tell me that i'm broken but that's okay because i'm still precious right and this goes well, against all the best psychology right like uh what's the what's the book i think it's called uh the growth mindset by carol dweck is she yeah, yeah yeah right it's like we know that having that fixed mindset of this is just the way it is um and i'm gonna wallow in my misery is uh basically a self-fulfilling prophe prophecy it it undermines your ability to actually get out of the bad situation that you're in and improve your life and it's the yeah. growth mindset that, that that really should be cultivated and by the way, we used to trash all that stuff, all of that like self-help. Sorry, I had to move because I had to charge my computer. All that like self-help, like Tim Ferriss, we would have just called him like a tech bro. Um, th these are, 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 are people that literally saved my life, but it was almost like bettering yourself was like a way of selling out, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. That's why they were opposed to um, the example you gave about jujitsu and saving that guy's life. It's the same thing with, so that's another one of their binaries fat is oppressed and marginalized. So what you did without realizing it was you committed the sin of uh, offending an, 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 an oppressed group of fat people, right? But you, although you weren't, but, no. but they want you to stay just like they want people to stay in their mental health problems because, and you associate it with your identity. They want fat people to stay fat. They want it to be your identity and to be this thing that you can't change. It's a part of who you are and it Wait. should be celebrated. And, and by the, by the way, it's like, the fat shaming thing is like that I think is the most obvious example because like, again, I've struggled with food issues and like it's fucking hard. And when someone tells you, you know what, just like go eat that pizza, like you're beautiful the way you are. It's like that enables me to go do that. Um, and when someone's like, hey, get your shit together. Why haven't you showed up to train for the last week? And it's like because I've been like eating shitty and feeling sorry for myself. That's a real friend. Right. I don't think you should make fun of fat people or go up. But if someone asks for help because they are unhealthy, because like diet related illnesses kill the majority of Americans, um, helping someone is not oppressing them. Um, and if you are not selfish, like if you are so selfish, 
because you know what's happening. It's like when you quit drinking and your friends are like, oh, what? You're being like a pussy. You're changing. It's like, no, 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 no. You just want me to get drunk with you. Like, this is me bettering myself. And that's OK. Right. Um, it's the exact same thing uh, where it's like, look, if you want to eat shitty food, if you want to drink so like do your thing. But if you are holding someone back and you're trying to uh, uh, help people stay unhealthy, like that's fucking evil. Yeah. Well, even even negating, there's a lot of science negation, though, on the radical left, um, which is odd because they they often view the religious right. And I guess the religious right probably is our science deniers in many ways. But, you know, they view the right as the science denier community. But it's the radical left who wants to shield everyone from uncomfortable facts about science like you you should be free to have the big gulp and eat cheeseburgers every day and be fat but it is unhealthy there's not like that's just true and yeah you should be teaching people there are negative consequences to being overweight and it can lead to increased risk of heart disease and a whole bunch of other problems yeah and like it's okay to be struggling if on one side you have people making fun of you for being fat and on the other side, you have people saying, if you try to get help, you're selling out or you have to love yourself no matter what. And then you go home and look in the mirror and you go, I don't or I feel like shit, but you don't have anywhere to turn, you know, because both sides are giving you extreme nonsense um, as opposed to if the left was like, like, I mean, what, when I talk about on the show, it's like, yeah, you should never make fun of fat people. Uh, of course, there are some people who have different bone structure and are actually healthier than like some of my like skinny friends who eat like Doritos every day. Um, but also like shit, if you don't feel good, you can 100 percent get better and it's fucking hard and I'll help you do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a difference between saying we all have flaws. I can love you and support you and be your friend in your flaws without but but at the same time, don't uh, enable those flaws, right? You can, someone right. who's a drug addict, you can be like, look, I love you, man, but you really got to stop doing heroin. Like, it's not right. good for you, right? right? Like, that's that's an okay conversation to have. It's not marginalizing. It's not hateful. Uh, it's not, it's not, I don't know if heroin shaming is a thing, but uh, it is now. Whatever. Well, it, you, uh, yeah, you should check out, there's this other comic we got to speak with who is really funny, Mark Hughes. And uh, he, he, uh, did years in prison uh when the sjw kind of uh ideology spread into the mainstream while he was locked up and then when he got out he's like what the (laughs) fuck is going on but he was saying to us that in this ideology they give him points for being a drug addict like if he were still on on drugs he would be kind of revered in a pass my friend (laughs) uh i'm gonna start i'm gonna start doing like sketches with this like brilliant filmmaker here in arizona and uh he was in prison as well and uh i'm writing this one sketch uh which will be on my youtube channel youtube.com slash jamie kilstein um about how la would act in a terror attack um and uh, we were talking about all the woke. I was like, you may not know a lot of this woke terminology because you were in prison. And he goes, because nope, <laughs> I work at a nonprofit now and they use it all. But even though I'm a white man, they can't get mad at me because I was in prison. That actually gives me woke points. Yes. That was so funny. Here's another thing that I think is really interesting about the left, which is we were the party of prison reform, right? Of like, yeah. 
anti-death penalty, uh, uh, making sure prison rehabilitates people, uh, not holding, you know, uh, uh, people in prison for too long. But we also want to cancel people for bad tweets and have them never work again. Um, you know, when 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 Louis C.K., who without getting into the Louis C.K. debate, it's like not good, doesn't seem good. Um but if he was a sex criminal, there would be uh, a certain amount of time that he spent in jail and then he would get out of jail when he performs at a club and people want to shut down that club. It's like, so do you want his daughters to start? Like, do you want him to never work again? Um, and maybe Louis is a bad example because he's so, uh, you know, people get so contentious about it. But no, I think it's a great example. It's I like mean, if we. Because then Republicans are going to go, hey, they want murderers to get out of jail free or uh, but they but they they want these comedians to never work again for being offensive or for, you know, like Aziz or, or, or whatever. Having it's just to me, it seems very contradicting. This goes back to what Carter was talking about, where people um, now I'm sure this is a human thing. I just happen to talk about it on the left because that's where I reside. But but on the left, especially in the SJW left. People have a hard time separating what they think is immoral from what they think you should be allowed to see or hear. Or so if they don't like that Louis C.K. is performing, they want to shut it down. They can't just not go right, right. <laughs> themselves. They have to say it's like it's like when we were growing up. It's the way that the religious right functioned. You know, yeah. you can't read this or watch this or do you know? Now that's right. the religious left. The busy bodies like are all on the left now. That's the yeah. problem. So wild, dude. How about after Chappelle's special when everyone who was tweeting positively about it was all my conservative friends where I was just like, when the fuck did that happen? We live in the upside down now. It's so <laughs> wild. It's so yeah. wild. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I don't know. I'm sure you have to go soon. We've been. Yeah, I probably should. But um, where once again, people can find you at Jamie Kilstein podcast dot com. Oh, Carter, I'm yep. sorry. Do you have any questions? I just barreled through this one. No, uh, that's okay. If if you've got to go, we we can uh, we can. Carrie, uh, Carrie you don't talk. you don't apologize to the oppressor. What <laughs> the fuck was yeah, that? I'm identifying as a woman during this conversation. So Carrie right. always identifies as a Muslim woman during our podcast. Right. That's yeah. hilarious. Yes, um, yeah, ja uh, Jamie Kilstein podcast is just the easiest place because that has the. Uh, uh, the links to like iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're on there and you want to find the podcast, uh, you can look at just it's Jamie Kilstein podcast. Uh, Jamie Kilstein on Twitter, the Jamie Kilstein on Instagram. I have a verified Facebook somewhere. Um, but yeah, the podcast is really, I really want to prove, you know, again, when I went to my agent and I was like, I'm going to do a podcast about nuance, like under Trump, it's just like, no one's helping me. I know I could make a fuckload of money uh, doing the right, or the, you know, former male feminist goes right. Um, but we're not. And we have a really cool community of these little misfits who we have Republican vets and we have like punk lesbian like 18 year old girls who listen to the show and we'll make fun of the left we'll make fun of the right um we listen to everyone we we try to bring everyone together um you know all of today's episode was trashing the democrats because of the debate and then all of uh the last episode was making fun of christians who don't want to eat at chick-fil-a unless they're donating to homophobic places like we'll show the hypocrisies on both sides whether that's liberals doing a die-in in front of chick-fil-a or republicans doing the same snowflakey shit um and then we'll have really cool conversations with uh you know from ufc fighters to like 
Bush administration officials who I called war criminals uh, have now come on the show to have conversations about uh, Iraq and stuff we disagreed on. So I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, and we have a Patreon, but check it out first. See if you like it. It's for free. Um, it's just Jamie Kilstein podcast. Not not to derail the end of the show, but something that you've said a few times now that I, I really want to it's something that bothers me as someone who hasn't been on the left. I used to be able to rely on the left to be anti-war. And man, the last 10 years, the left just sucks. They're the ones that are all like, bomb this place, bomb that. Obama Wild, had right? It's like, what is going on? There's, there's The peaceful party doesn't exist anymore. There is no anti-war party anymore. Yeah. And then when you get someone who speaks out about the war, who criticizes other Democrats, they're like, well, this must be a sod in disguise or a Russian asset, um, which is which is insane. I mean, that I'm pretty sure that's when my old show took off was during a primary season. And I think that's why this one's starting to take off, too, because like. If you watch the debates last night, it's just so clear where it's like they don't want to hear from Tulsi, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders. They would rather talk to like Cory Booker and Klobuchar who are polling at nothing um, and who don't have the grassroots following. But it's like they have this fucking quota. And again, it is more offensive to women and it is more offensive to black people if we are just pandering. Um, you know, like there was a, a a line in that dumb article about me that someone brought up that was like he charmed me. And it's like, that's not abuse. That's what two people on a date are trying to do. You know, it's not he dragged me or like he put a bet. Like when you start talking like that, it's like to me, it's kind of anti-feminist where it's like you're treating women like children. Um, You're treating uh, minorities like children. Um, It happens in the comedy world, too. Right. Someone makes a race joke and all the black people laugh and it's the white people looking around in a fucking panic. Well, that's like, oh, this is a point. Okay, we are derailing it, but just real quick. I wrote this down earlier because I didn't circle back to it. It was when you were saying, um, we were talking about how it's it's almost this ideology is a luxury belief system. And see, because they view view the world as as being the struggle between these identity groups, then they tell you, well, if you check off any of these privileged or oppressor categories, then it's so condescending. But they're basically like, you have power. And the people who check off the marginalized boxes don't have any power or agency. And you have to use your power and privilege to speak on their behalf. Right. How racist and condescending is that to say, listen, white people go out and speak on behalf of people of color or listen, men go out and speak on behalf of women because they can't do it for themselves. Right. And then also when you take them out of the conversation, um, it's like, how are, you know, like, do you remember when Matt Damon was like, uh, he was literally trending on Twitter with me too. And I'm like, Oh my God, did Matt Damon rape someone? And then literally what it was is he said like, Hey, Harvey Weinstein isn't the same as Al Franken. And they like silenced him about that. And it's a true thing. And it's like, if you're not letting them speak, it's like they're either going to shut up or they're going to drift off to the other side. Um, It's like, we have to have these conversations and like, yeah, am I going to be a little quieter? Am I going to lecture like a black person about race? No, I'm much more interested in hearing what they have to say. Um, But by saying that, like, I can't talk about it. It's like, who's that really helping? It's not really helping anyone. Well, and also I, I, I mean, I, I, I may not lecture. I don't typically t- like to lecture, but I will tell a person they're wrong, regardless of what their race is. Of and course. This whole you- thing, this is what happened in the knitting world is they're, they're being told and they actually, the belief system says this, the best way to judge a person is based on their race and sex and all these other identity categories. And 
and and you have to evaluate whether or not they can have an opinion based on those categories. But it's magically not sexist and racist to do this because we've changed the definitions of sexism and racism. <laughs> and so ah. and that's that's where it gets crazy because it's like, look, I I um if a person disagrees with me, uh, am I going to take into account their life experience in mind? Absolutely. But I'm also going to take into account their arguments and their rationals, their, their reasoning and the, yeah. the argument they're putting forth. I'm not just going to say, oh, well, because you're skin color, you must be right. right. And like, that's very insulting and condescending. It's like, look, I respect you enough as an individual to hold you to the same standards I would anyone else, which is proved to me why your opinion is something that, um, that is valuable or something that like, I'm not, I'm not just going to say right. rubber stamp. That's the same thing as saying, I'll believe all women. Right. Just because you're a woman. It doesn't like, I believe evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I like, also Carter's pulling me over to his side of like, uh, what is it? You day, the you'll, process. you'll slowly become a libertarian and then an anarchist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also like, I want people to believe me because of my character. I want people to hire me because of my talent and like, you know, I'll, I'll give both sides right now where it's like, you know, I, of course there needs to be more representation in Hollywood a hundred percent. Right. There was a long time uh, where there wasn't, there needs to be more, you know, black showrunners and co-create and create show creators and stuff like that. But if you are giving them uh, people who maybe don't deserve it a show just to fill a quota, one, that's insulting Two, you're going to have a shitty product. And then people are going to go that. Ah, see, I gave that shitty black show a chance. Um, but then the other side to it is now you have a bunch of white guys complaint doing the same snowflakey shit saying, you know, that we're being ostracized in Hollywood. And guess what? They're right. They're hundred percent right. My agents told me that I had a huge showrunner and director be like, they're making us hire more diverse, uh, uh, you know, is that good? Uh, probably not. But as a white guy, I just get to go just like we were talking about with black people or with women. I get to go. Guess what? That means I have to be better. That means I have to be so fucking funny and so undeniable. And white guys had their chance. And right now they're doing more diversity hires. But that means I have to write the best fucking show possible or be the best comic I can be. And I'm going to use that as inspiration. So both sides can pull the snowflake victim card. Uh, we do it more. Uh, but I would also implore the right not to turn into versions of what they criticize uh, on the left. Yeah. I think that's good advice. To, but I, I will say that the, what's been lost is the classical liberal position, which is we're all individuals and should be treated as such. And the, the ideal of being colorblind has been lost. Um, yes. And I think that's what a lot of people are pushing back against. And what you see is when people say something like there should be more X in Y black showrunners or Jewish basketball players, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Um, the, the assumed answer is that there's the univariate cause for why it's not true is that it must be systemic racistry, racism or bigotry or something. And that's not always true. Sometimes people have things that they prefer to do and different groups sometimes choose things differently. We don't yeah, know I, why. I, I but... remember, I remember I was on MSNBC once and they were mad at Lena Dunham for not having more black characters. And I was like, you, do you really want to see Lena Dunham write a bunch of black characters? You would be mad at her for that as well. Like yes. have... you see that in the young adult fiction, people getting in trouble for writing about people who aren't their race, but also in trouble for writing about people who are their race. If they're the wrong race. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, 
perfect world, it's like everyone should have equal opportunity. You should be seeing, you know, uh, uh, making sure that like when you're auditioning for a part, you know, there are people of the, the sexes and uh, genders or whatever. But then you don't just fucking hire someone. You hire off of talent after that, you know. Yeah. So here's yeah. what I hear both of you saying. I because I agree with I agree with you, Jamie, that. I mean, I worked in entertainment and it was a, a, a boy, a lot of it was a boys club and it was, and because that's, it's a function of who, you know, and so a lot of the, and the networks where it's like all white guys and you start to be like, oh, is this, is this, I, uh, what's the word? How, how do we push back against this? And I would say the way that you do it is not by saying, okay, it's been a white boys club for a while. Now we're going to make it about race and we're still going to make it about race and sex. We're just going to flip who we're giving things to. Right. So the answer for me is what you're talking about, Carter, which is the classic liberalism, which is the antidote to collectivism is, is individualism. It's not collectivism on the other side of the coin. And so I think what happened in entertainment was I was right at that point where things started to change, where I was representing mostly comedians who checked off a lot of marginalized boxes and it was hard to pitch them but I made I made the identity about that's how I pitched them I made it about the marginalized identity and then suddenly those things became in vogue and that's like what what's what people are looking for but it's just the other side of the coin it's like right. you're, you're taking a rubber band and you're stretching it to the point of breaking instead of stretching it to the right like like you're just taking it too far it's like totally why can't you why can't we I don't want to get a part if I'm an actor I don't want to get something because I'm a woman, but, and I don't want to be denied it because I'm a woman. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't want being a woman to have anything to do with it. That's right. a great, that's a great line. Talent. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I, I do totally have to go. You guys, okay. this right. was like, okay, goodbye. this was we'll like, finally let you go, Jamie. No, I, I could honestly talk forever. I, I'll come back on anytime. Uh, uh, you're going to get a smiley face DM shortly. Uh, this meant so much. This was really cathartic and it was really fun. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I don't, you know, Carrie and I really wanted to have this conversation with you and it's been great to talk. We, we enjoyed it. You can come back anytime. Hell yeah. um, so thanks so All much, right. man. Cool guys. Thanks, babe. Bye. Take care.